Well, good evening, uh, Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main. It's the 3rd of February, 2021, in our year of science fiction, Lord COVID Planet. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about uh, some of this COVID panic that's going on and see if we can't unpack how to stay sane in these wildly, increasingly trying times. So, uh, yeah, thanks everyone for dropping by tonight. A great pleasure to chat with you. I hope that you will check out the new series on um, uh, investments and uh, the sort of investment roundtable. I hope that you will uh, you will check that out. It's not investment advice of any kind, but I've got some experts on the uh, show who support the show who are interested in um, well sharing their expertise about investing. Good evening, hey, Dean. Hope you're doing well. Good evening, New Jersey boy. Good evening, Lemonade. What happened to Gimme GME? Hello, Stefan says, sewed Tabrisi. Hello back. Lemonade says, free domain radio. Oh, 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 oh. The Marmorath says, good evening, Stefan and Chat. You enjoyed the first investment episode? Yeah, this next one, um, I really wanted to try and figure out what's going on with things like um, Litecoin and Ethereum and just what the story was about that as a whole. So I hope that you will check that out. Hello, Agent Lost. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, nice to chat with you this evening. And um, I'm going to sound like I'm picking on someone tonight. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. But um, you may have people who are like this in your environment. You may have people like this in your life. And I hope, I hope, I hope that this show tonight will really, really help you push back against this claustrophobic gloom and doom paranoia. The world is full of tiny air spikes that are going to impale our brains and all of that because it's really destructive. I mean, living in fear is worse than dying in many ways. And I just I came across an article that is from the New York Times, which I'm going to go through in a tiny bit of uh, detail because it's just really important and I hope that it will help you with this kind of stuff. I do get the sense that looks sleep-deprived, unshaven, what's going on? Really? You you know what sleep-deprived looks like? <laughs> I got my cozy seven and a half hours last night. Unshaven? Yes, I am in fact unshaven, but uh, I will be uh, I will be getting back to shaviness. But um, Oh, no, everything's fine. Everything's great. Everything is good, good, good. Uh, I'm trying uh, 1920 by 1080. Seems to be going okay. I think we're doing all right as far as that goes. Good evening, Andy. Hope you're doing well. Good day from Oz, from Morgan's Flying Saucer. <laughs> hey, can you believe it? Well, I guess you can believe it, right? The number of hatchet jobs on Roger Ailes versus the number of hatchet jobs in the media like this. There's two, what is it, one miniseries with Russell Crowe and another whole movie series with, um, oh, that South African woman whose name I can never remember who adopted the black kids, I can't remember. Anyway, um, a lot, lot of examinations of Fox News and Roger Ailes. Not so much Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein. It's a, uh, a genuine titanic fundamental mystery from which no human being can recover. Stream looks good? <laughs> Why, thank you. I appreciate that. Come on, grow a beard. Um, listen, 
The moment I kiss you and not my wife, you can have a determination on my level of facial hair, but as long as my wife prefers me without a beard, uh, I'll go for kissy face over scraggly jaw any time of the week and twice on Sundays. All right. Charlize Theron. Thank you. Thank you very much. Charlize Theron. Yeah, why isn't there anything on the Awan brothers, right? To ask the question <laughs> is to answer it, right? To ask the question is to answer it. Um, were there times when you had friendships or relationships that were one-sided? Oh, yeah. I would say for most of my youth, my relationships were entirely one-sided. Proud Boys are now considered terrorists in Canada. What do you think about this? Um, well, um, you know, there is this belief that, uh, you know, all, all racial groups can have their in-group preferences, can have um, agencies and organizations that advocate their, for their interests. Um, I mean, you have a Hispanic, ra a Hispanic group literally called La Raza, which is Spanish for the race, right? So you have the Black Congressional Caucus, you have um, East Asian groups, you have Indian groups, you have um, groups for... Uh, Jews, you have groups for Muslims, you have groups for every belief system, ethnicity, uh, and so on, Hispanic groups. But uh, the moment that a white group does it, you know, they're immediately Nazis. And uh, that's just part of the unfortunate um, bigotry, uh, anti-white stuff that's going on at the moment. It's a real shame. And um, I, uh, I don't have any particular solution other than it's really wrong. It's really bad because, you know, the multiracial diverse society was not particularly sold as, oh, and by the way, if you organize, we're going to try and destroy your life. Uh, that's just the way the way things are. It was not massively unpredictable, but that's the way it is. So let's, let's drop into this article. I read this with, well, horror, frankly. I mean, I, I, I just, and look, I have sympathy for this woman. Uh, I don't know her. Um, I don't know her background. Uh, I obviously can't diagnose. I'm not a psychiatrist. But in my amateur opinion, uh, this is a generalized anxiety disorder. It's really rough. Uh, it's really rough to, to be anxious all the time. But do you ever get the sense? You let me know in the chat here before I sort of dive in and dig in here. But do you ever get the sense that some people, they really love the drama of coronavirus? You know, the, oh, you know, the cases are up and there's now a South African mutation, there's a Brazilian mutation, there's a UK mutation, and they're just the, the drama of, of COVID and coronavirus and the pandemic. And uh, people are, you know, this, oh, you know, like this, this, and, you know, maybe it's, I would say maybe slightly more leaning towards the female side than the male, but man, this, the, I mean, people, I don't know if their lives are empty. I don't know if their relationships are empty. I don't know if their jobs are boring. But just this, you know, this this gasping, trailing after the scattering shells of the formerly living cast about by the Chinese god of death. It's just pretty wild about this stuff. You know, people are just, I mean, how empty does your life have to be where a pandemic is the only interesting thing going on? Uh, the 9-11 people stay glued to the TV for every update. Yeah, that's right. And, and it happens with war. And, and, and people want to feel, I guess, like they're living in history. And, and, but part of this, this drama, it's just wild. Like they're now, what is it? The World Health Organization has finally got a team into Wuhan to try and figure out the origins of the virus. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, absolutely. It's really, really important to come in 14 months late uh, to, to really, really try and nail down the <laughs> scene of the crime. Crazy, crazy. 
Um, somebody says, um, yes, I'm a therapist that is um, walking people off their delusions daily, usually addicts. Love it for the dopamine rush. Yeah. The drama. You, you can see this sort of drama queen addiction with, you know, the men who, so the women who, who date bad men and they're just constantly complaining about these men and, oh, he cheated on me and, oh, he came in drunk and, oh, the drama. It's so, I mean, I guess it is somebody who's just ADHD stimulant junkie running after the latest dopamine hit, but um, you, you can't live your life constantly firing up your fight or flight mechanism. Like you, you, I mean, you can, but it's just not going to be very happy or, I believe, very long life. You've got to take time to calm down. You've got to take time to unwind. I spent an hour and a half this afternoon. I lay on a bed, closed my eyes, clasped my hands over my chest, had some headphones on, and listened to some music and just... Because, you know, sleeping isn't quite relaxing. Napping isn't quite relaxing. But when you get to that zen state of sort of peace of mind, the pillow of winds kind of feeling uh, you really got to find a way to cool your jets and if you're around the <gasps> people you know it's they're just constantly you know the headlines can be like this on places like Breitbart and other places you know shocker you know and it's just something and it's just like I, uh, you know I don't being, being hit by the random cattle prod of language just doesn't really seem to uh, do people uh, a lot of good so as far as the drama goes people just love the drama some people just love the drama of uh, of COVID so Let's see here. What else have we got here? Um, it's literally never-ending. People who say, well, I know so-and-so who got it, and it's very serious. Yeah, that's right. Will you become famous like Jordan Peterson? Um, I don't know if that's a question for me or for someone else. So if you, if you want to really change the future, you have to be willing to be largely invisible in the present. Uh, the more visible you are in the present, the more you are in alignment with the general values of the age. But to truly change the values of the future, you have to be willing to be largely invisible to the present, to have a subterranean effect, so to speak. And it's, uh, it's a slow battle. It's a battle of attrition. And usually, you know, the people who've done a huge amount to change the world aren't often really recognized for their role in that until long after uh, they're dead. So... You know, a couple of hundred years from now, me versus Jordan Peterson, not that there's any comp uh, any any competition or anything like that. I mean, we work in such different spheres and so on. But um, uh, for, for certain, Jordan Peterson is far more uh, prominent than I am at the moment. Uh, as far as the future goes, well, we'll see. Well, I won't see, <laughs> but my grandkids will see. Let's see here. Uh, I find those people tend to be women and people who live off the paychecks of others, welfare, unemployed, etc., well, you know, my mother was a hypochondriac, probably still is, and she was always like, oh, you know, some new thing, and she was desperately glued to the OJ trial and just loved the, the sort of drama of life as a whole. And, you know, if you're actually doing things in your life and you're getting your sort of natural dopamine of achievement and growth and challenge and, and all of that, you just don't need the oh, stuff all the time. But, yeah, people whose lives are not satisfying tend to wrap themselves into external stimuli and so on, right? People who live in fear get to stay at home more often and work less hard because government aid. Mm. Well, for sure. I mean, the world is really divided into three classes of people at the moment, right? Um, there are the very wealthy who have seen their wealth increase under COVID. There are the uh, people who are, and, and that's, I sort of include the self-employed to some degree in this. There are the people who have regular jobs 
and their lives have become really terrible under COVID. A lot of them are working from home. A lot of them are unemployed and so on. But I guess there's the middle class and then the slightly lower class, like the hospitality workers, the restaurant workers and so on have been decimated. It's unbelievably terrible. And then there are the government workers who love this stuff because they get paid and they don't have to work. I mean, it pays way better than welfare to be a government worker who doesn't have to do anything during COVID. I mean, the teachers love it. I mean, the teachers, they're not going back to school. Like, that's the funny thing. People are talking about, like, the going back to school thing. Chicago Teachers Union and other places, particularly out on the left coast in California, they're just not going back to work. They'll just keep throwing out restrictions. Why? They prefer working from home. And um, the schools that they often go to are, are physically dangerous. You get really hurt and harmed in, in those schools. There's a lot of physical violence and danger. And so working from home gives them probably a sense of peace that they haven't had in, in quite some time. So, Some are COVID-obsessed, says Mog Mughal, was listening to some lefties talk about how they're going to wear the masks when it was over because safety blanket. Yeah, I think uh, two, two to three years before there's any return to normalcy. Yeah, there's uh, two to two to three years. That's my particular prediction, and and normal is probably still going to include masks. Unfortunately, um, it's, I mean just because when I was in um, in uh, November of 2019, uh, oh, sorry, October of 2019, I was in uh, Hong Kong for my last documentary before the hammer came down, and uh, I'm still wearing masks as a result of the O3 plus uh, SARS one ec- epidemic, right? Uh, Mary Duai says, I wish people were as crazed about the obesity ec- epidemic as they were about COVID. It kills far more people, arguably. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The R coronavirus is full of the fear porn. Let's see here. Drama out of nothing. They just made it mandatory to wear masks in the Rocky Mountain National Park, and it's heartbreaking. I live right next to the park. Yeah. Yeah. Um People, if, if you don't have meaning in your life, if you don't have virtue and, and love and meaning in your life, then what will happen is you will go for drama instead because it gives you a sense that, that you're alive. Jordan Benison, wash your lobster penis, bucko. <laughs> the, the lobster thing is kind of important. It's kind of a funny thing. Like Alex Jones was right. They are, in fact, turning the freaking frogs gay. So. A dreamer is one who can only find his way by moonlight, and his punishment is that he sees the dawn before the rest of the world. I assume that's Oscar Wilde and not Olivia, but yeah, Oscar Wilde is a glorious, glorious writer. All right. Uh, Inflation is getting pretty obvious here in the U.S. with grocery prices hard to avoid, and Morgan Stanley is now talking about it. Yeah, because you get the shrinkage in the package, right? The packages are getting smaller, right? So... Teachers hate their jobs in California. They make little money with packed classrooms. Well, it's not the packed. It's the dangerous classrooms, right? The wealthy net dollar increase during COVID. The outcome is the purpose. Don't know about that. It will be 10 masks by then, right? Hong Kong citizens are now fleeing to the UK with their dual citizenship. They are. And a friend of mine in in Hong Kong is sort of keeping me up to date on this stuff. Um, And, of course, the Chinese government will backdate and, and fake a whole bunch of paperwork in order to make sure that they get their agents embedded in the countries that we're going to. So, Try emailing DLive and asking if they will remove your X-Tag and remonetize you. I've heard they did for a few people. Yeah, I, I will try that. And if you could try that too, that would be great. Uh, you see the new article about the COVID hotels owned by the CCP. Yes. Yes. All right. So let, let's go through this article, which I think is very interesting. It's from a woman named Courtney Zoffness. She is a writer whose forthcoming memoir 
explores motherhood, anxiety, and spirituality. Now, I'm going to sound kind of harsh on this woman. I don't mean to be. Uh, I, I'm sure that she's doing the best she can with the emotional apparatus that she has. But nonetheless, well, it's pretty narrow, right? It's still, it's still, it's pretty important. There's a lot to to talk about in this article. And hopefully this will be helpful to people. And again, I'm sorry, this is kind of small. But I wanted to throw the article up so you could sort of read along, right? So she says this. She says, I've spent the past 11 months filling my children with fear. Don't touch that, I say. Lift your mask over your nose. Keep six feet away. I have chosen not to water down the reasons, explaining to my six- and nine-year-old sons what the coronavirus is and how it infects and how many people have died and continue to die daily in the United States, 2010 on Monday. I have been especially preachy with my youngest. We've talked about his lungs, about the pulmonologist who told us he had tracheomalachia at 18 months and then later asthma. We've talked about all the emergency medicine, medical visits, all the nebulizers and inhalers that fill our kitchen kitchen cabinet. He gets it. He's washed his hands so often that his knuckles have turned red and raw. Well. Okay. Uh, so when it comes to talking to kids, come on. Um, when it comes to talking to kids... They don't, when you say to a child, 2,000 people died, he thinks it's like three streets worth of people in the neighborhood. He doesn't understand, you know, 300 plus million people, 2010, mostly elderly with an average of three comorbidities and often past their own um, average mortality, uh, average mortality and so on, right? And so... When you're talking about to a six-year-old about these kinds of numbers, a six-year-old for two thousand is pretty much half the population of the planet, right? So, for 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 a child, it's really really important to understand that, right? So this mom, oh gosh, what was her name again? Courtney, right? So Courtney is so terrified that she's telling her her son about all of this. Now, this of course is going to fill the child with with terror, absolute livid, foundational, uh, foundational fundamental terror, right? And he's washed his hands so often his knuckles have turned red and raw. Okay, so she's clearly terrified of this virus. The child has lung ailment. And let's go on. What happens after you spend 11 months filling your children with fear and then the source of dread arrives? And of all the bodies in your household, it slips into only the smallest one. Is there a name? for the feeling just before you tell your sensitive six-year-old that the threat is no longer abstract, that he's tested positive. He doesn't believe me at first. I hardly believe me. It's January 21st, barely 7 a.m. Maybe it's all a dream. My son looks from me to his father, then back again. We had the most reliable tests. His older brother cups his hand over his mouth in disbelief. How? My son says, voice wobbly. I don't need to remind him that his teacher tested positive, that she's home convalescing with a fever. That's why we got tested in the first place. Ah, well, this is the part that blew my mind. I mean, it doesn't blow my mind insofar as, oh my gosh, it's so shockingly unexpected. It blows my mind because... 
the lack of self-knowledge on the part of this woman, Courtney. And again, sympathies, propaganda, blah, blah, blah. But, but let's be real about this. Come on. She's so terrified that her son is going to die from COVID that he's rubbing, he's washing his hands until they're raw and red. But she's sending him to school. What? You're so terrified of your son dying from COVID that you send him to school. What on earth does that mean? Look, if there was like a genuine child-killing virus floating around schools, pro tip, don't, don't send your kids to the fucking school. If you're that terrified of coronavirus and you believe that it's everywhere and it's going to kill your kids or threaten the lives of your kids. Like this, I don't understand. Like if you're going to honor your fear, if, if you're going to be this scared, then do something about it. This is what I don't understand. Do something about it. If you're genuinely terrified your children will die of COVID, then get them out of the government schools. Get them out of the private schools. Get them out of schools. Oh, but there's more. Oh, but there's more. So, says, I don't need to remind him that his teacher tested positive that she's home convalescing with a fever. That's why we got tested in the first place. But this fiery, inexhaustible boy with the perpetual holes in his pants knees cannot help touching every wall and gate we pass on our Brooklyn sidewalks. He grips every bar in the playground, which we visit often because we do not have a yard. He regularly pokes fingers in his eyes and nose and mouth. He is six. Who knows who gave the virus to whom? All right. So she's still staying in the city. Again, if I genuinely believed that my daughter was at risk of dying from a disease that was in schools and in cities, and that I took my child to a playground because we didn't have a yard, you move out of the city. Honor your fear. If your fear, if, if you, I don't agree with this level of fear. Obviously, I don't agree with this level of fear. But, but, if you are this afraid, why wouldn't you act on it? That's I don't understand this. If you're, if you're really this afraid, why won't you act on it? Get out of the city. Get your kids out of schools. Rent a little cottage in the country. Crush down your expenses. Sell your car. Move out of the city until herd immunity, vaccination, whatever you believe is going to be the end of this crisis. Do something. For God's sakes, I don't understand this. I'm so terrified that I'm going to put him in playgrounds and I'm going to keep him in the city where everybody's touching things and I'm going to put him in school where the teachers get sick. And I don't, I don't understand it. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know what the husband's doing here. Like, what is her husband doing? Why isn't he talking to her and saying, what are you talking about? Let's look at the mortality rate of children. Well, we'll get to that in a sec, but this I don't understand. She says, I think about the two and a half days since we took the test, during which time I helped him blow his nose and wash his face and polished off his glass of orange juice. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What can you even say? What can you even say about this? I, I don't know what you can say. 
So you put your son in a school where the teacher tests positive. You're so terrified. You know that you, you know, you know for a fact that your son has been exposed to COVID because the teacher has tested positive, right? This is a, this is a fact. I'm following the timeline here correctly. Tell me if I'm not. Your son, you have sent to school. The teacher has tested positive. Your son has been exposed. And what do you do? You drink his glass of orange juice. Help me, guys, please, out there in the world. Help me. <laughs> I cannot understand. I cannot understand. This virus is so deadly and so... Oh, is that, is that OJ? Oh, man, I like OJ. You've been, you've, you, you've been exposed to COVID and, and you're, you could be shedding virus like a, a fire hose. Yeah, but, you know, OJ is tasty. Slurp, 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 slurp. What do you say? So he has got to wash his fingers red, bloody, and raw because of COVID. But mommy's a little thirsty and likes the slightly acrid taste of orange juice, so... I, I, what? Anyway, so she says, now I mobilize and procure masks for everyone. My husband designates an area in the living room just for first graders, of which we have only one, and starts to build a fort. My boy understands the implications. He crumples to the floor. Crumples to the floor? Now, I... Listen, I was raised by a hypochondriac. Ah, she wasn't that bad when I was younger. It got pretty bad later. And you guys tell me, tell me this. I, I don't want to sound like an overly tough guy or anything like that, but, but, but tell me this. As a kid, did you really mind getting sick that much? I didn't. I didn't mind getting sick that much at all. You'd, you'd get sat up on the couch. You'd get, uh, we would get Ovaltine or, you know, that kind of sweet vanilla drink that's, I don't know if it's available anywhere else other than England or whether they corral it up in India and like Marmite should be in Australia. But uh, did you really mind it? Uh, come on, you, you get a stack full of comic books. You get to explore the, test, the, the um, estrogen mysteries of daytime TV. You get to doze a little. You know, you're a little headachey, and 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 uh, you know, I remember being itchy with chicken pox and stuff. Was it really that terrible being sick when you were a kid? I never had anything super serious. I've ever never actually spent any time in hospital. I've never spent a night in a hospital and so on. But as a kid, did you really mind being sick? I thought I I get to be off school. Uh, my mom would go to work, and I'd just be propped up, and it was fine. I don't know. It was just not that that big big a deal, right? It was just not that. Big a deal. Did you, um, did you, uh, did you, did you hate or fear getting ill? I didn't, right? Anyway, but of course he thinks he's going to die, right? Because she's talking about the number of people who've died are in the thousands every day. Uh, people said, uh, I, uh, Matt says, I loved staying homesick, especially chicken pox. Two weeks. Ah, oh, man, when I got ill when I was young, I was ill. Stefan's got that warrior genetics or something. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. And, and I had asthma when I was a little kid, but I don't really remember it very well. I just remember looking out my window and they burnt my teddy bears in the backyard. I used to fake being sick to stay out of school. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, what was your preferred fake? Mine was a stomachache, you know, my, my stomach aches because, you know, it's kind of... I actually, I faked my mother's signatures uh, to, to get out of school. I hated it so much. Of course, right? School is horrible. It never bothered me, says Robo Beast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really not that big a deal, being being sick. 
Strep throat was the only thing I remember not enjoying. Oh, yeah, sore throats are horrible. Mine was a migraine. Migraines are also, I've never had one, but I've known someone who's had one, who has migraines, used to have migraines, and uh, they're brutal. They're brutal. Even when I was sick, I'd be at school for some reason. Oh, sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Okay, so the, the, the article goes, so the, the sun crumples to the floor. So he's ex expressing intense, unbelievable levels of distress, right? I, I mean, when I found out I was sick as a kid, uh, I never crumpled to the floor. Again, I didn't have my mom telling me I was going to die or anything like that. Puking as a kid wasn't too much fun. Uh, not too much fun as an adult either. I remember playing Sly Cooper on the PS2 and having great fun when sick. Oh, bronchitis? Yeah, that is rough. I've never had that, but uh, it's pretty It's pretty rough. Pneumonia sucks? I've never had pneumonia. I think I've had a flu maybe once or twice in my life. Flu just puts me on the couch for three days, and then I'm, I'm fine. All right. Um, so he says, I don't want to have COVID, he cries. Will I die, he says. Will you? All right. So you're this, this woman's son, right? This woman's son. For some reason, I'm completely gapping out on her name. Courtney. So Courtney's son here says, will I die? Will you die? So he believes that he could die and or he could kill his family, right? Because for kids, of course, if he doesn't die, but the rest of his family dies, then he's stuck in, I guess, I assume a Brooklyn apartment with, with dead relatives, right? Dead, right? That is, uh, that is rough. So this kid is going through an existential terror crisis that I don't remember ever experiencing as a child with the possible exception of when I found out about nuclear war. So, and even that wasn't imminent. It was just something in sort of a round, right? So her child is terrified that he's going to die or that the mother is mother and the entire family is going to die or both right so kids going through an existential crisis if there's ever a child who needs his mother it's this moment needs his mother needs his father so let's see what happens she says i i had wanted my children to be afraid of the virus so that they'd be protected so that our family and the community and the world would be too but i am also preternaturally anxious Someone who relies on therapy and medication to breathe evenly. My children have seen me distraught over seven-day averages and incautious loved ones and an immoral president who helped accelerate the spread. The size of my son's sob is proportional to the extra-large apprehension I sowed into him for 11 months. How could this be unraveled? So now, she's, she's basically been said, we're all going to die, right? And now her son has COVID, and now she's like, well, how can I unravel all the fear I wound into him for 11 months straight? What? What? Let's go back to the listeners. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Thank you for joining me tonight. It's real pleasant. All right. Um, worst thing I ever had was strep throat for a week. Uh, chicken pox was easy. Yeah, chicken pox was easy. I used to love getting the bubblegum flavored antibiotics for an ear infection. Ate a yak burger in China? Think I know what it's like to give birth. I don't know if I have sympathy more for the yak or for you, um, or contempt for both of you, uh, because why would you eat a yak burger in China? I mean, 
don't don't eat anything in China. <laughs> well, a tasty bowl of tadpoles, perhaps. Oh my God, that poor kid is being traumatized. Oh yeah, I had frequent ear infections, uh, says New Jersey boy. No school, Nintendo all day. Only remember once as a kid actually getting sick enough to not consider illness a net positive. Yeah, it kind of was, right? Any books for blended families? Sorry, I don't know. A six-year-old has a greater chance of dying from normal flu. This behavior is cultish. Uh, this is a bit of an insight into why people are so weird, like weird hysterical women scare people. Lots of health problems from secondhand cigarette smoke, two packs a day. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Thought I had cancer as a kid. Turns out it was womanhood blooming. Laugh out loud. Okay, you, you thought it was breast cancer, but it was just, in fact, breasts. <laughs> That's a step in the right direction. This woman's drama addiction is seriously harming her children psychologically. Needs his father if his mother is a fruitcake. Hmm, but... Men don't have much power in relationships. I mean, I, I, I mean, unless the woman is willing to, to work with the equal, right? I wonder if our selected parents do this to their kids on purpose because the instability propagates our selected behavior. Yeah, constant sense of threat gives you um, early sexual maturity and promiscuity and a tendency to want to uh, pursue the unearned dopamine of the present at the expense of stability in the future. Right? She does take some responsibility, the result of the fear I sowed into him. Yes, please tell me this is Babylon B. I'm afraid not. Holy moly, Steph, crypto's been on a steady rise this week. Yes, and I think it's only going further. Please do not associate with women like this. They will grind down every ambition about you. Do not give them anything good. Do not interact. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I was only sick once when I was a kid, but I discovered the Black Stallion, so it wasn't so bad. Uh, you mean the book, right? It's a great book. Men have plenty of power in relationships if they don't act like pussies. Yes, I think that's true. All right. So let's go on with this, right? So she says there have been more than 2.82 million cases of COVID-19 in children as of January 28, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. Children account for 12.8% of cases in the United States. But there's a caveat. These numbers most likely reflect an underreporting since children may have no symptoms or only mild ones and may not be tested. Okay. So the, she says, I want my son to not be sick. I want my son to not be sick. I want my son to not be sick. And then she says, okay. So the fewer number of children's fatalities and the more children are not being tested, children are unreported, the better, right? Because if, let's say, twice as many children have it, uh, then that proportion of people, of children who've died is much lower, right? So anyway. This hysterical behavior is why women should not be in positions of power, especially when where there are emotionally charged decisions to be made. Well, I mean, this is the AOC thing, right? AOC claiming that uh, she was feared that uh, she was going to be murdered in the Capitol riots. And, you know, funny story, it turns out she, heard, she said she was in her office, which is not in the Capitol. It's a, on a building a couple of blocks away, a couple of streets away. And uh, that building, the Collins building or something like that, um, was, was never, no, no, none of the rioters or curiosity seekers ever went inside so she was she was actually not in the capital even though she says she feared for her life and all this and of course so now she has no she has zero capacity to process threats of any kind gets completely hysterical and and falsifies whether in her mind or whatever falsifies what threats are actually occurring and so yeah isn't it great she has no capacity to process threats rationally and she gets to vote for war yay so, okay, so she says, I tell my son that everything will be okay. 
Okay, so that's weird, right? Because if you say to your son, there's this deadly virus and, you know, thousands of people are dying a day and it's, you know, you, you're especially susceptible kid because you passed lung issues and blah, blah, blah. And then he gets it and you say, oh, everything's going to be fine. Like, that is so bizarre. That is, at least, at least honor and say, well, yes, you know, the, the thing that we've talking about that, that might kill you or might kill all of us has come and, and we've got to sit down and talk about it and try and, but she's like, no, no, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. How is a kid supposed to process that, right? That that his mom has been filling him with fear, making him wash his hands like some OCD victim for 11 months straight, and then he finally gets this disease she's been terrified of for 11 months straight and has filled him full of terror, and then she says, oh, everything's going to be fine. What? Does that mean that, that she was... I mean, from the kid's perspective, does that mean that she was lying the whole time? Why have you been filling me with fear about this illness and now that I have it, you say everything's going to be fine? Why do you tell me thousands of people die from this illness and I'm especially susceptible and then when I get it, you say everything's going to be fine? <sighs> my God. Anyway, so she says, I tell my son that everything will be okay. I try to mean it. I say that being asymptomatic is a good sign that he has a strong immune system, healthy organs. My husband and I carry the twin bed out of the room he shares with his brother, even though they've been breathing on each other all week. Better to do something, my husband says, than nothing. We set up an isolated folding table so that he can attend remote school and designate a bathroom just for him. We make it sound exciting. Your own room, your own bathroom. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Better to do something than nothing. Well, but you, you have done something, right? You have done something. You've stayed in the city. You've let your kid play with other kids. You've let the kid go to playground and touch things, even though he keeps touching his face, his nose, his mouth. You've put him in school where he's exposed to other kids and, and uh, teachers who then got sick. And without a doubt, it seems to me, it probably came from the teacher to the kid to the home. So you've done a whole bunch of stuff. You've done a, So here's the thing. This, this is my particular perspective. On my own anxieties, which everyone has, on my own anxieties versus uh, other people's uh, and, and other people's anxieties. Like, okay, I feel anxious about X, Y, or Z, right? Okay, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to change your behavior? No, then let it go. Because anxiety or fear is designed to have you change your behavior. If you're not going to change your behavior, dwelling in the anxiety is nuts. The fight or flight is there to have you change. If you're not going to change your behavior, then you got to let go of the anxiety, Right? So if this woman says, well, no, I'm going to still send my kid to government schools. Come on. What, am I crazy? I'm still going to stay in the city. Okay, well, then it's not that bad. Empirically, you look at your own actions and say, empirically, is it that bad? Is it really bad? Because if I'm not willing to move out of the city, pull my kids out of school, stop having them go to COVID-infested playgrounds, then clearly I don't think it's that bad because my actions don't follow my fears. But to wallow in these fears and not change your behavior... I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what, what, what to say. About, I mean, I have no idea what to say about that. All right. And now, now that your kid has COVID, even though you've said it's death on a stick, right? Now that your kid has COVID, what you're saying now is, let's make it fun. Again, what? What? What, what does that mean? Your own room, your own... It's going to be fun to have COVID. You're going to die, but it's going to be fun. 
God. Oh, man. I'm like a king, he says. Briefly pleased, he asks if, if I will make him a crown from cardboard. He does not know that corona in Latin means crown. All right, yeah, okay, who cares, right? So then she says, my husband and I have reminded each other and relatives that asthma puts individuals at risk for severe illness from COVID-19. It's how we've explained our extra precautions, but it occurs to me now that we're not actually so worried about him suffering physically or even, heaven forbid, dying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, we're not actually so worried about him dying. So she's filled him full of terror of airborne demon COVID death for 11 months straight. Had him wash his hands until his hands are raw. But she's not really so worried about him suffering physically or even dying. And she says, at least 215 children have thus far in the United States, which is dying, right? Dying. 215 children have died. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Out of what? Close to 300,000, right? 300,215. And of course, the dying is usually dying with COVID or being in the vicinity of Governor Cuomo. But um, so she said, we're worried about the adults he might infect. We are worried about each other. Right. So it's about her. It's about her. She filled him full of all of these terrorists because she's nervous about herself, right? Nervous about her own possible so so she doesn't say she has any comorbidities other than this um, generalized anxiety disorder or whatever it is right so she doesn't have any lung issues so she's terrified her children because she's concerned about them bringing COVID home to her which is why she's not focusing on his terror at the moment right okay so the mom says I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The mom says, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. If you get COVID, COVID is deadly. Thousands of people are dying. I don't know if she says you're going to die, but she says it's deadly, right? She keeps telling about all the people who've died, right? And now he's got COVID. And now, now, of all the times in this poor young boy's life, now is the time you sit down with him and you talk and you talk and you talk and you listen and you, how are you feeling, how are you doing, um, what do you think is going to happen, and, and you explore his sense of doom, his sense of mortality, his sense of danger, his sense of death, his fear that he's going to die or that his family's going to die. Now, now is the time to parent. You filled him full of fear about getting COVID. He's got COVID. He's afraid he's going to die. He's afraid he's going to kill his family through COVID. He's thinking back, did I not wash my hands properly? Did I not wear the mask right? He's terrifying. He's terrifying. He's terrified of what he's done. Now is the time that you sit down with him for hours, hours at least, and, and talk things through with him. But what happens? Next paragraph. My son retreats to his castle with an iPad. 
what? Again, I... Your your son is terrified he's going to die and kill his family. And you just drop him in the living room with an iPad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'd say it's unbelievable, but it's obviously not. And and she's putting this out there. I don't know if she knows. or. And again, I'm not trying to pick on her because a lot of people like this. So I'm, I'm not trying to sort of be negative on her. I'm just... Mom, I think I'm going to die. I think I've just killed the family. I don't know what I did. Here's an iPad, kid. Off, right? Fill him fear. Fill him full of fear. The worst thing happens, and then she gives him an iPad. And then she says, "Between work meetings, I deliver food." So your child thinks he's going to die or might. Your child is terrified that he's through some inattention, through some mistake, because when you're a kid, most things are your own fault when you feel like, right? And she certainly hasn't, in any of this story, convinced him that it wasn't his fault, right? So, your son thinks he's going to die, thinks he might kill the family, or might have killed the family, and she, what does she do? She goes to work. She, she she goes to work. She she has work she has work meetings, don't you know? Can't I can't deal with my kid who feels he's about to die and might have killed the family because I have a work meeting. Fuck. Where's the husband, dude? Dude, where's your husband? Talk to your wife. Your son thinks he's about to die. What is your I mean, maybe you were in there comforting him, but she doesn't say that. Mom, I think I'm going to die. Here's an iPad. Mommy has a meeting. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, you got COVID. Okay, here's an iPad. Mommy's got a meeting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Dad, your, your sons need you. She goes on to say, still, we know the isolation won't last, even as the CDC advises a period of 10 days. He's too restless, too six. After a few hours, he hollers my name, voice muffled through multiple layers. Door, comforter, mask. After, so your kid who thinks he's dying and might have killed his family is left alone for a couple of hours with a mask on and a closed door. My God. Your Highness, I say, poking my covered face inside. Now, that's also strange to me as well, because it's not funny to the child, but she's making a joke out of it. Your Highness, she comes, like, my God. Your kid thinks he's going to die, thinks he might have killed his family, might have done something to bring this virus into the home, and you're making jokes about it. Well, first you leave him for a couple of hours with an iPad, because you got to work. you got to work. I'll be serious about it. you got to work, right? And then you're like, Your Highness, mm-hmm. like, that's not a joke. Not a joke. Your Highness, I say, poking my covered face inside. He is upright on his bed, hair must. He stares at me, then he opens his arms wide. Yeah, he needs, uh, he needs his, uh, he needs his mom, right? 
There is a flicker of panic in his face, a question mark that I won't approach. Or maybe I'm projecting. For a blink, I hesitate. I worry he sees this. I'm afraid of my own child. Oh, my God. See, you knew he'd been exposed to somebody with COVID because he was in the classroom with the teacher who got quarantined. And you drank his orange juice. <laughs> my God. Now you're scared of him. Now you, you can't. He's been around for a couple of days, breathing, sharing. You drank his orange juice. And now it's like, but I can't touch him. Oh. The apprehension will persist when my older son, a week later, tests positive too. Both boys remain asymptomatic as we approach the tail end of isolation. So asymptomatic, right? Which means it didn't make the children sick at all. Didn't make the children sick at all. So the child feels, has been told by the mother, right? It comes from the mom. The mom maybe the dad too, I don't know, right? The child has been told by the mother that COVID could kill him. It's an incredibly dangerous illness, which is why he's washing his hands until his hands turn into hamburger meat, right? COVID is deadly. And then he gets it and his brother gets it. And they don't get sick at all. At all. At all. Well, what does that mean in terms of parental credibility, right? Anyway, so she quotes an expert. Children look to parents when deciding how to feel about COVID-19. Dr. Erin Millstone, a pediatrician at Johns Hopkins Children's Center, has said, if you feel calm and prepared, they are likely to feel similarly. I can't promise that I exuded calm in the moment my youngest reached out to me, much as I wanted to, tried to. But what I could supply without pretense was comfort, love. On his warm bed, my son and I wrapped our arms around each other tight and did not speak a word. Um, she's the author of a forthcoming book, Spilt Milk Memoirs. She is also the director of the creative writing program at Drew University. And she's a total Biden supporter, right? I mean, she's on her Twitter feed. She's, um, you know, she's crying, screaming, weeping, wailing with joy and gratitude. She loves everyone when Biden was inaugurated. So, well, that's a liberal woman, man. That's a liberal woman. Did not speak a word. Okay. I really think that's parenting, man. To not speak a word. That's not, uh, that's not good. You, you know, you, your child thinks he's dying. And you don't you don't talk to him. You, you you throw him an iPad. You tell him to wear a mask, even though he's alone in a room. You throw him an iPad. You go and do your little job. You go do your work because that's important. You see, not your child who thinks he's dying, and might have killed his entire family. That's but the work. You know the the the, the, the call, I got calls. I got calls, man. You leave your six year old alone with his own terrified thoughts for a couple of hours. But it's okay because he's got an iPad. You know, nobody's doing on that iPad, <laughs> browsing COVID. I don't know, whatever, right? But you go and you hug him and you don't say anything. You weren't so quiet when it came to filling his mind with death terror of COVID, right? But now he needs comforting. You don't say anything. 
You've said to your child, and listen, this is again, not specific to this woman, right? But this is like moms out there as a whole. And dads too, but, you know, I think the moms are having a tougher time, right? With this whole thing, right? Uh, don't, don't fill your kids with terror. That's going to follow them their whole life. Helplessness, terror, anxiety. Change your goddamn life if you're that scared. Get out of the city. Get your kids out of school. You know, you, you can crush your expenses like you wouldn't believe, man. You can crush your expenses like you wouldn't believe. You get out into the country, into the middle of nowhere. Get a couple of chickens. You can have some eggs every day. You can cut down your grocery bill enormously, your property taxes. You can get rid of your second car. You don't need all the fancy clothes for work. Less makeup. You know, for a year. You can crush your expenses Get your kids out into the country, have them eat some dirt, which will actually, I believe, make, as far as I understand it, makes their immune system stronger. Do something about your fear. Just sit there and rot in terror and infect your children with fear while still sending them to the typhoid Mary ground zero environment of government schools. And for God's sakes, if you've spent 11 months telling your child he could die, if he gets this illness, he could kill his family. If he gets this illness, he gets this illness. Maybe take a couple of hours off work? Maybe. Because, you know, I keep hearing about this famous maternal instinct and women's empathy and care and compassion, and she wants to show him love. Okay, showing your children love is not just silently hugging them. That's, that's not love. Love is acting with sensible, rational perspective and proportion regarding their own future happiness. That's love. Not filling them full of your own terrors. Ignoring them when they have an existential, I'm going to die crisis. Silently hugging them, abandoning them for work, which they know, by the way. Your kids will know. Mom had something more important to do than take care of me when I thought I was going to die and might have killed my family. Well, you, you, work, you run some shitty creative writing program and that's more important. I, 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 don't, under, I don't understand. I, like I'm, I'm not trying to play dumb. Like I, I had no idea how on earth you're responsible for the, mortal, the, the mortality fear in your child's mind. You've put that in him. You've put that in him. When a child hears over 200 children have died, he thinks about half his school dropping dead. He doesn't think about the proportion of it relative to... 150 million kids or whatever it is in the States, right? They don't understand. They don't understand that. You fill your child full of that fear. The worst fears materialize. You throw an iPad, lock him in a room, leave him alone for hours. Come back, hug him, don't say anything. Don't ask questions, don't explore the mortality, don't any of that, right? And when they're fine, they don't get sick. Nobody else, she didn't say anyone else got sick. So... When none of your fears have come true, you owe your children a big fucking apology, frankly. Everyone out there. When your fears don't come true. Kids got sick, nothing happened. You didn't even get sick. You say, oh, well, we were just lucky. A lot of people who are kind of lucky, <laughs> right? 150 million kids who were kind of lucky didn't die from it, right? Mortality rate is tiny. 
for COVID. Now, there's, there's long-haul stuff. There are the long haulers. There is a significant proportion of people who've had it six months ago in, in Wuhan, the studies. And yeah, it's they've still got some lingering effects. I get it. Like, I mean, it's not... I. I don't think it's just the flu. I, I think it's more dangerous, more serious. I understand a little bit of the biology behind it. But for kids, no risk, really. There's no functional risk for kids, right? But what you're teaching your kids, right? So if you have this terror of COVID and you just, you just sit around, you just sit around and stew in your terror and your fear and tell them to wash their hands and be paranoid of their environment without changing their environment. Because here's the funny thing, right? <laughs> I assume back in the day, this woman went, Courtney, I think it was, right? She went to work. Now, you see, she's working from home. Why? Because, you know, COVID is dangerous. It's working from home. So why is that kid going to school? The kid can school from home, can educate from home get educated from home, probably better. So why is she sending her kid to school when it's too dangerous for her to go to work? Again, help me understand. What am I missing here? What am I missing? I simply don't understand. But if you just stay and you stew in your terror and you obsess about the charts and the graphs and you don't subscribe to Tom Wood's newsletter and you're like, oh, no, it doomed. But let's stay. What you're teaching your children is that paralysis in the face of danger is the best response. <laughs> paralysis in the face of danger is the best response. My daughter and I used to like watching some of these pretty mild scare camp things. Boo, right? And, and some of them can be kind of, kind of funny. But um, I remember there's a whole bunch of them where the woman just folds. She doesn't run. She doesn't fight back. She just kind of folds into the ground, right? So what you're teaching your kids, if you're terrified of something but won't act to change your environment, is uh, that, that fear, you're just addicted to fear. You just want to stay in an environment where you get to distract yourself from your own bad behavior by pretending there's an external threat, right? There's a fundamental issue here, right? Which is, you know, I sort of, I always think, so. okay, let's say this woman called in to my show. She's not going to, right? But let's say, hey, you're welcome to, right? Maybe I'm wrong about stuff and you can set me straight, right? But... Woman calls into the show. And I mean, well, I know what I would say. I know what I would say, which is that if you're this scared, why haven't you changed your environment? If the environment is deadly, why haven't you changed your environment? Well, I've got this work. No, but you can work from anywhere, right? Because you're already working. You already said you had meetings from the home, work meetings, Zoom meetings, whatever, right? If you're a creative writing teacher, you don't have to be in people's grill to you know, just get stuff emailed and your market for woke points or whatever the hell happens with creative writing these days, right? Why haven't you changed your environment? Why are you allowing the sickly fear to infest you and infect you? The real danger is not coming from the air. The real danger is coming from the soul or maybe the lack thereof. I don't know exactly. Because, I'll, again, I'm going to abandon this woman completely as far as the narrative goes. I just want to talk about these, um, these anxious people as a whole, right? Anxious people as a whole, because I've had some exposure to them over the years, to put it mildly, right? So, imagine this woman. No, you know what? I said I was going to abandon her. Let's talk about Jackie, right? So, imagine Jackie is sitting across from me and saying how terrified she is of COVID, 
And so, and I say, well, Jackie, just pull your kids out of school, go move to the country. She'd get really angry at me. You understand that there are a lot of people in this world who complain, 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 bitch and bitch and bitch. And the moment you give them a solution that's practical and achievable, they'll go for your fucking throat, right? I mean, this is just kind of the human condition. It happens with some men, happens slightly more with women in my experience, but this is what you do. They complain, 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 and you offer them a solution. No, you're supposed to just be listening and supportive because apparently solving the problem is not being supportive. Like, you know, if a woman is standing in, in a house and the house is burning down and you say, you should get out of the house, you're just not being supportive. You're not, you're not listening. You're, I don't want you to, I don't need you to solve my problem. What can you, this woman, in this case, this woman does. Jackie does need you to solve her problem because she's terrified of the air. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be in Florida and, and to worry about basically Florida is the land of land sharks. Alligators everywhere. Basically land sharks. Okay, yeah, I get that. You know, don't go poking around for minnows at the edge of a pond. Land sharks. Okay, that's something to be nervous about. <laughs> something that's going to twist your leg off in a gator roll, right? Oh, yeah, well, I understand that. So you step back from the edge of the pond and you're probably okay. It's not going to chase you on a bus, right? <laughs> probably okay. But to sit and stew in this terror... And then someone comes along and says, okay, so the solution is you pull your kids out of school, homeschool them for a bit. Uh, oh, but they've got to be socialized. It's like, well, that's fine. You've got two kids. And right now they're not being socialized because the kids have to kind of stay apart from each other and they've got masks on. It's like socializing in Madame Tussauds' wax museum at the moment. They're socializing at school. That lie, that justification, that's done. That's gone, man. I mean, it was always bullshit, right? I mean, socializing in government schools is like saying, well, I, people got to go to prison. Otherwise, how are they going to learn how to socialize? <laughs> so you say, oh, if you're scared of the air in the city, you're scared of every surface in the city. You're scared of the deadly Voldemort virus, because you can't say China apparently anymore after Joe Biden's executive order, right? So if you're scared of the Voldemort virus in the city, in schools, well... It's too dangerous for you to go to work. Obviously, it's too dangerous for your kids to go to school. So get out of the city. Get to the country. It's going to be dirt cheap. You can live for a year or two. You'll barely even touch your savings because you still got a job, but your expenses are way down. Maybe you sublet your place. Maybe you find your way out of the city. Oh, look, a solution with which you can escape fear. Now, <laughs> my friends, my friends, my friends, my friends. I want to jump to you because it's not just a monologue, right? Let's let's get the dialogue going. Okay. Have you, hmm, mother, have you ever had people in your life who complain about something and you find it relatively easy to solve? I don't mean easy like it's easy to just pull up stakes and move to the country. It's not that big a deal, but you can do it, right? So have you ever had people who complain about something that's a pretty simple solution. You provide that pretty simple solution. And they get enraged at you. Because they're addicted to the problem, right? They don't want a solution. My mom was always scared about her health. I'm like, I don't know, mom. Maybe if you quit smoking? <laughs> right? Maybe that's where I got my, uh, my neck tuber from was all the secondhand smoke I was growing up with in these tiny apartments with a smoker, right? You ever had this? 
You ever have this? Bitch, 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 bitch. There's your gift, right? Oh, here's a solution. Right? I remember sitting in a pizza hut in Dom Mills with my mother. And my mother was complaining about how hard her life was. She had this whole theory that doctors injected her with illnesses for, I can't even remember what the reason or justification. She was onto something and they went around. And I, I remember I, I was probably about 19 or 20. And I remember very clearly saying, yeah, mom, I totally get Like, I get it. I get it. I, you know, it's very, very stressful. You know, there's a library right across the street here. Why don't we go over? And I fully accept what you're saying is real. But there's ways to handle and manage stress that might be quite helpful. Let's just go across to the library. We'll look up stress, find some way to help manage the legitimate stress of what you're going through, right? Of course, I didn't believe any of this stuff, but I just wanted to give her some kind of solution. I'm like, okay, here's the tiniest thing I can do. I can't uproot these ideas that the only reason your life went bad was because evil doctors did X, Y, and Z. But what I can do is I can say, let's go to the library and let's get you out a book on on how to manage stress because clearly it's really rough for you right and so this was a minor solution a minor suggestion while accepting 100 percent of the complaints that she had a tiny minor this was my first big aha people don't want to have their problem solved right and this sounds unbelievable but it's it it absolutely i guarantee you i can't guarantee you i'm telling you whether you trust me or not I'm, i'm telling you this is what happened she got so angry she ended up throwing a picture of Pepsi at me in the restaurant, like a full-on, like these. they had these big plastic jugs. I worked there later. Yeah, these big plastic jugs full of ice and Pepsi. She threw, well, at least it wasn't cutlery, but she threw and <laughs> drenched, right? That's, that's what happens when you try to solve people's problems, right? So if you were to go to this woman who's living in claustrophobic fear with Jackie or whatever, and, and you say, well, just take your kids out of school, move out of the city, and bingo, bango, bongo, you can ride out the pandemic and... Your kids will actually be healthier thereby, right? Because you see, if she doesn't have the external drama, the external fear, she has to look at her own behavior, her own lack of connection, her own lack of empathy, her own lack of love, really. Not the word love or the huggy, whatever it is, but the actual love where you ask people how they're doing and really, really listen to the response, right? So... That is that is trying to help people, man. And so here's the funny thing, right? This is what was so strange for me about doing this show was, you know, I, I had a whole history of, of trying to help people. You know, I had, um, boy, this is a friend of a friend having a big problem with their marriage. And uh, I sat down, tried to help them with the marriage. I've always been pretty good at, at, you know, this didn't just come out of nowhere, like my listener conversation. I've been pretty good at giving people advice and listening to their issues and, and all of that. And... Um, Gave them some suggestions. They didn't follow it. And then guy ended up in jail because he dumped garbage on his wife's head when they were having an argument. Uh, a, fr- a friend of mine who was five foot seven was always upset because he was short. Now, he was a redheaded, blue-eyed guy. And when he was slim, which was rare, he was a good-looking guy. And he would always tell me how, you know, a man needs to earn another $150,000 to make up for a couple of inches less in height. And he was bitter and he was upset. And I get all of that. Like, oh, yeah, it's a tough, you know. I could look at myself and say, well, I'm bald. That means I can't be attractive. Right? Who cares, right? But 
And I remember saying to him, okay, well, you can't do much about the height, but you could lose some weight. Because he had one of these, you know, like these 55-year-old Garrison Keillor pot bellies uh, in his 20s. <laughs> and you could lose the weight. You get your teeth cleaned. You know? That you can do something about. But no, because the complaint was to avoid his anxiety about asking women out. So he'd say, well, they're not going to date me because I'm short. Okay, well, you could make yourself more attractive in other ways. I could have said, oh, my gosh, I started losing my hair in my early 20s, and nobody's going to date me because I'm bald. No, just make yourself an... It's okay to be bald, just don't be bald and fat. Being bald is like having no tits, right? You can have no tits, just don't have no tits and be fat. (laughs) That's a bad combo. So... So that's what was so strange for me when I decided to, like after a lifetime of trying to give people advice, and I think good advice, I mean, I've ended up from a very brutalized childhood in a very sort of productive and, and happy career and, and a loving and, and happy and now close to 20-year-long relationship with my wife and a good parent and all that. So, you know, I, I think I've got some reason to say I'm not a bad guy to listen to for these kinds of things. And I've been a success in many things. I was uh, got into the world's one of the world's tightest and toughest to get into theater schools uh, and um, wrote a bunch of novels that did uh, uh, were very well reviewed, although they were anti-communist. They couldn't really get published. Uh, I was a success in university, got uh, an A on my master's thesis uh, in uh, graduate school and uh, was a success in the business world, was a success in the podcasting world and the vlogging world, good public speaker. And, and like, you know, I'm pretty good at, at, at a number of things, but I'm reasonably positive success in a number of things. So it's not, I'm not the worst guy in the world to get advice from. So that was what was kind of funny, was that after kind of half a lifetime of people not taking advice, you know, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out in the world. I'm going to give people advice if that helps, right? So, uh, but it's different, right? Because that's why I love you guys, because, you know, you listen, right? So uh, Drew University is in Madison, New Jersey, the suburbs of New York City. Why didn't this idiot move out there? Oh, go further, right? Oh, go further. Philosophy guidance request, how to survive agile project micromanagement as a program. That may be more business than philosophy. Uh, Let's see here. You guys are saying all the time you try and help people and they just... The comfort of misery is an addictive thing. I don't want a solution. I want to be angry. Uh, Always, they're the former friends and family had to cut them off. Yeah, you, you can't follow people down into the whirlpool of pathetic self-destruction if they won't take sensible solutions, right? Uh, victimhood is the most addictive mindset. Isn't wearing two masks kind of like wearing two condoms? Well, I obviously had to wear two condoms for length. Uh, that's uh, a challenge, so. Uh, my partner has issues with her parents and family. I suggest constantly therapy and having an honest conversation. Well, suggest consciously, right? Con- uh, constantly means that they're not listening, right? So. Uh, let's see here. D-Live thumbs up. Yes, D-Live thumbs up if you could. I would appreciate it. How much trash and what was in the... It was just a kitchen trash can. Uh, any books for blended family? I, I, I answered this earlier. I don't know. I have not dealt with any blended families. I don't have a blended family, so... Uh, what are your thoughts on social anxieties and relationships? Uh, that's a bit broad. I don't mean to sound sexist, but that's a bit broad if you could narrow it down a little. I never thought of being bald as like I'm a woman with small tits. Is hair really like tits for women? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a fair analogy, right? So you can be bald and good looking, like you can be a woman with small tits and or no tits really and, and be fine looking, but you've got to stay slender, right? 
like being bald like uh, Jean-Luc Picard bald or, or Bruce Willis bald or, you know, like having some... It, it, it's helped me in life to be bald because I'm like, well, I've got to work out more, right? Okay, so because I certainly don't want to be bald and fat. Like bald and fat, that's a bad combo. Like you can be thick-haired and fat and you're just like this jolly clowny guy, right? But uh, bald and fat is a really, really bad combo. And um, so, yeah, I think that's the way to look at it. Like if you look at somebody, to take an extreme example, you look at somebody like a gymnast, uh, like an adult gymnast, right? Don't look at children this way. If you look at an adult gymnast, right, often they're quite small-chested because being big-chested is tough for dance. You know, like you're on time, but your tits were two seconds off, right? And gymnasts, uh, I knew a woman who was a gymnast, and then she developed uh, large breasts, and uh, it was hell. She basically had to drop out. I also knew a woman who had this when she was a dancer. So if you look at an adult gymnast, uh, they have nice lean physiques and so on, but usually they're small-chested, but you don't sit there and say, well, they're unattractive, right? So you can be uh, bald, just make sure that you don't gain weight uh, at the same time because then uh, you just like a, like a flatulent thumb. It's a bad idea, right? So, When you will, will you be doing another crypto chat? Ah, yeah, it's a great question. I don't actually know. I'm, I'm trying to sort of figure these things out. Um, I'll try and figure out a schedule. I've just had this idea. And, um, you know, as you sort of get financially more and more uh, harmed by COVID and deplatforming and so on, you've got to kind of look for other things. If you'd like to help me out, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I would really appreciate that. What happens when you keep running into people who keep pretending that they want solutions, keep manipulating, etc.? Well, what happens is you either choose to keep being manipulated or not. See, dissociating from destructive behavior is the kindest thing you can do to people. This is what people, I mean, not you guys, I'm sure, but people as a whole seem to have real trouble understanding this. Not bringing alcohol to a drunk is the kindest thing you can do for that person. Not engaging in and supporting and reinforcing people's bad behaviors, dysfunctional, destructive behaviors, is the kindest thing. you. If you love someone who's manipulating you, disengage from the manipulation and say, a condition of my interaction with you is you stop manipulating me. Oh, I'm not manipulating you. You're projecting. You're the one manipulating me. Gaslight, gaslight, fog, fog. You know, okay, look, no, I, you are manipulating me and, and we'll prove it, right? Okay, no, no. Uh, that's my, my instinct, my feeling, and I have some examples and all of that. But, you know, like there was, so there's this guy. Um, ah, forget it. No, it doesn't matter. I- irrelevant story. Irrelevant story. Stay, stay with you guys, right? So, um, people who are addicted to, to non-solutions. See, they they feel that they're helpless with regards to the world, but what they actually are is helpless with regards to themselves. Right? So I'm a duck and bob and weave kind of guy, right? You, you know what life is. You you make an advancement, you get punched down. Uh, you, you succeed, and because of your success, you get targeted for takedown. Like the, the tall poppy syndrome, right? It's kind of natural, right? So I've reinvented myself a whole bunch of times in the sort of Bob and Duck and Weave situation. This happened in the business world. It's happened in the philosophy podcasting world and so on. You've got to keep reinventing yourself because when you're really good at what you do uh, and you're taking away money and views from other people, they'll target you. They'll pretend it's some ideological thing, but uh, mostly it's it's money and Benjamins, right? So you, there's always something you can do. There's always something that you can do to turn a negative into a positive. Like the, the choice of whether a negative stays a negative is absolutely up to you, right? So I got 
uh, cancer, as you know, my seven or eight years ago or something like that, kind of out of nowhere and you know, it wasn't because I was a smoker or anything like that. And what do you do? Well, you try to make that into as much of a positive as possible. So I eat even better. I exercise even more. I wear even more big giant Tilly hats to keep the sun off me so I don't end up having to deal with skin cancer too. Got blonde and blue-eyed, right? So although blonde is a little bit in the rear view. So what can you do to say, fuck you, negative circumstances. I'm going to make this a boomerang positive. How, how do you do that? This is the big challenge in life. You get bad news and you're like, okay, what's the best that could come out of this, right? What's the best that I can do to make this as positive a thing as possible? That's, that's your challenge in life. It's not surviving bad things. It's judo momentuming them into good things. It's judo momenting, momenting those things into good things, into good things. I was kind of tired of politics. I was kind of tired of Trump. I was kind of tired of no matter who you vote for, you get someone like Jared Kushner I was kind of tired of Trump abandoning his base. I was kind of bored. And, and you knew that the election was going to be pretty one-sided. You knew that suppression was going to occur. So then, you know, I get kicked off a bunch of social media platforms. I get deplatformed from payment processors and so on. It's like, okay. So I can look at that as a big, dis oh, 15 years of work down the drain, blah, blah, blah. I can look at all of that that way if I want, for sure. And that's going to have me go down into a particular hole that, that's not good, right? And it's not even true. Well, what is the truth of being deplatformed? Well, that's a complicated question, but it's not simple. Is it the other negative aspects of being deplatformed? Absolutely. Other positive aspects of being deplatformed? Absolutely. And you can focus on the negative, or you can say, okay, this liberates me from a kind of responsibility that I had to influence things in the world. So I can now focus on the things that solely give me pleasure in philosophy, which is these kinds of conversations, conversations with the listeners and uh, analyses and uh, writing a book on parenting. And like, those are the things that really give me great pleasure. So took a lot of responsibility off my shoulders. And the reinvention is the key. The reinvention is the key. When I first got attacked in 2008 for being a cult leader, for saying to people, you don't have to spend time with abusive parents, um, I had to reinvent the show and start interviewing experts because people weren't aware that this is actually pretty common within the psychological literature. It just never gets out into the mainstream, right? So you just re reinvent the show, right? And you just have to keep saying, okay, this thing I can, you know, maybe I don't want it. I can view it as a negative, but how am I going to use the momentum of this negative to catapult me into a positive? That's the, that's the trick in life, right? That, that's the trick in life. In other words, how, like, you'd say, oh, my God, I got cancer, right? Okay, how can I make having cancer something that I can view as a positive? I mean, you know, I get this is kind of tough. And look, mine wasn't fatal, so I get all of that, right? But even if it had been fatal, I could then finally say all the things I've been bottling up because I'd have no consequences, right? So, you know, even that would, would have a, a silver lining, right? So that's the question. Now I look back and say, well, I've taken better care of my health. I've taken better care of my skin. Deplatforming means my eyes will last longer because I'm not, you know, <laughs> like this all the time. So there's there's pluses to all of this, right? I, I get to spend more time with my family. Uh, I get to spend uh, more time just doing things that I really enjoy that I wasn't doing because I was on this massive treadmill of, of cranking out truth abouts and interviews and shows and reading three books a week, and, right? There's pluses. 
you know, let's say that uh, being deplatformed has me live a couple of years longer. Those couple of years, I will really enjoy and will be very glad that I was deplatformed. Who knows? I don't know. But you can make the choices and say, okay, this negative thing has happened to me, but I don't know whether it's negative or positive. The, the very same forces that deplatform me are driving up the price of crypto. Uh, that's interesting, right? I mean, that's very interesting. How do you know it's a negative? That's something that really bears examining. Something, oh my gosh, this is a terrible thing. I don't want it. It's really bad. How do you know it's a negative? How do you know? Because when you think in your life, and you think back in your life, right? You think, um... I don't know, think of some girl who broke up with you. And at the time, you were like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. I don't want this girl to break up with me. I'm lonely. I want her back. Oh, right? Oh, man, I spent a whole summer once when I was working up north obsessing about an ex-girlfriend, writing her poems and letters and all of that. And, you know, we sort of floated around the idea of getting back together. And then she eventually is like, nope. And I was crushed, crushed, crushed. But I'm so happy with my wife that I look back at that and say, well, that's something I didn't want her to say no to getting back together at the time. And I viewed it as a big negative, massive negative. And I, oh, we got to get back together. We got to get back together, right? And you know what would have happened now in hindsight, looking back. If we'd gotten back together, it would have taken us approximately three days to go, oh, that's why we broke up. I remember now. <laughs> I remember now. So... That thing which was a negative, which I desperately didn't want to have happen, I'm very glad now happened because it opened up my heart to new relationships, which eventually led me to where I am, which is a pretty good place in life. It's a pretty great place in life in many ways, right? I didn't have kids when I wanted to have kids for reasons I won't sort of get into. I didn't have kids when I wanted to have kids. But because I was delayed in having children, I had the kind of career where I could stay home and spend a lot of time with my daughter. So even not having kids when I wanted to have kids, which I thought was a terrible thing at the time for many years, turned out to be a positive thing in that if I'd had kids when I wanted, I would have stayed in the business world and I wouldn't have had much time with my daughter compared to the amazing time that we've had together for the 12 years that we've been together. No, almost 13 if you count, <laughs> if you, if you count the pregnancy. So... How do, you, how do you know? You don't know. You, maybe you'll know in 10 years. Maybe you'll know in 20 years. And for the most part, for the most part, the things that I thought were negative turned out to not be so negative. The things that I thought were really positive turned out to be not so positive sometimes. It's a real yin-yang thing, right? And trying to extract the positive from something that seems really negative you know, how can you extract the positive out of COVID? This is a big question, right? It's a thing that's happened. How can you extract a positive out of COVID? So with COVID, because we have fewer distractions in terms of travel, in terms of nightclubbing, in terms of raves, in terms of dating, in terms of Tinder, in terms of sex, like because we have fewer distractions, we can focus more on meaning, on depth, on virtue, on passion, on power in our lives. We can focus on the quality of our relationships. Discard the ones that don't work. Nurture and grow the ones that do work. Find 
new ones if none of them work and you can't fix them. And then what you can do is you can look back and you can say, damn, I'm so glad for COVID. I'm, I'm, it's awful that it happened and it's awful that 100 million people plus have been infected and it's awful that however many people have died. That's terrible. But for me personally, how can I turn this into a positive? Because it's happening whether you turn it into a negative or you turn it into a positive. It's happening either way. So you might as well find some way to turn this into a positive. What can you do to clean house that you wouldn't have done if COVID hadn't come? Because you have fewer distractions now, right? Maybe you can save more money. Maybe you can start that online business you've always thought about. Maybe you can clean up all your relationships. Maybe you can commit to learning an instrument. Maybe you can do something where you sit there and say, well, COVID was terrible, but I did the very best that I could with it. Very best that I could with it. I took that situation, turned it on its ass, and turned shit into gold. Thank you, Communist China, for giving me the opportunity to dot, 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 right? Don't let it wear you down. Don't let it drag you down. Don't let the undertow take you to the bottom of the ocean and jam your head in Davy Jones's locker while the lid slams on your back until you turn into a turtle. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Everything that's a pile of shit is a portal of opportunity. If you want it to be. If you want it to be. Listen, if I can find the positives in cancer, you can find the positives in this. And I could. I started taking a lot more risks. Because, <laughs> you know, once you stare down something mortal like cancer, eh, you know, online negative stuff doesn't matter as much, right? So I was like, okay, I can use this to fuel my courage and my commitment to philosophy. That's your choice, man. That's your choice. Everything that comes at you that is a big negative. Do you know, going bald for me, which I didn't want at the time, I don't think really men do, really want it, of course, right? It's a huge plus. It's a huge plus. Because it caused me to work more on my character it had me stop just relying on my looks. It caused me to commit to exercise and, and eating well to, to stay lean. Oh, not lean. It's not overweight, right? And it's been a huge plan. I don't have to worry about my hair doing shows and stuff. Right? So it saved me thousands of hours over the years. It's kept me healthier. And it had me focus more on qualities of character than, you know, just being a hot young thing and all of that. So, my God. It's not like I sit there, I would choose that. But what I desperately didn't want at the time, has become a massive plus for me. If I had stayed that shallow, sleep-around player when I was a hot young thing, my God, I could, I could have wrecked myself. I probably would have and wouldn't be where I am now. Wouldn't have the, the, the quality of the show, which is largely due to the quality of my relationships in my life, wouldn't be there. And, you know, the people who've gone the sleep around route, the, the hot young male or female thing route, well, that's all gone to shit under COVID, right? It's a bad plan. It's a bad plan. Hello from lockdown Perth. Hello. It's not a valid comparison at all. Small tits are fine. Being bald is less fine. But it helps if your head shape doesn't suck. Small tits can be weird. Small tits can be weird looking too. So I don't know about that, right? X-tagged because of your bad language. Potty mouth. I had no idea. No idea. 
I lost a great friend to victimhood because his wife played into it and his friends wouldn't. She finally won out. No, you lost a great friend because of his choices, not because of his wife, because his wife was part of his choice, right? X-tag was applied for anything ever remotely political. Yeah, that's true. Could you do some philosophy for a seven-year-old? I often listen to you in my car with him, but can be inappropriate. Still sparks great convo. I mean, I've thought of that. I've thought of that as a whole. Um, I don't know. I'll mull it over. I'll mull it over. Thank you. Being fat sucks regardless of breast size. That's true. Hair and fat like Riker. Riker from Star Trek? Jason Statham bald. Yeah. Cool athletic guy, right? How will humanity evolve past leftism? Well, the same way it always does, through massive tragedies that uh, unfortunately remove the dumb. What gets to me is when my wife looks to be the one proposing solutions to these stubborn people while I tell her to cut these people off. So you have to have respect for empiricism. Empiricism is the key. Like I always say to people, I'm an empiricist, I'm an empiricist, I'm an empiricist. So you've got to give yourself a cutoff, man. You know, like, for me, when I was younger, I'd ask a girl out twice. After that, nope, if she doesn't want to go out with me, right? So maybe the first time she's just had a, she's in a bad mood, she's got a headache, she doesn't write whatever, she's interested in someone else, so I'll ask her out. And, you know, you, you look for the boomerang, right? You say, do you want to go out Saturday? And she says, I can't Saturday, but how about Sunday? Okay, that's a good thing. If she says, I'm busy Saturday, dot, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, then she's probably less interested. So you you got to give yourself a cutoff, man. Because otherwise, you're just revolving door, stuck in a circle, right? So for me, ask a girl out twice. If she doesn't say yes by the second time, I'm done, right? Okay, I move on to someone who wants to go out with me because obviously she has no taste whatsoever, and that's genuinely how I felt. Like, you don't want to go out with me? <laughs> What's the matter with you? you got to be crazy. Why wouldn't you go out with me? I'm, I'm funny, I'm warm, I'm intelligent, great conversationalist, fairly decent looking, got a nice body. Like, why on earth would you want... Who are you waiting for? Come on, give me a break, right? Somebody with the hell of good hair, maybe, or whatever, right? But so with your wife, you've got to say, okay, you've tried how many times now? Come on, how many times? Now, if you've tried 20 times to get your friends to change and they won't change, then you've got to ask your wife, okay, if you say no to a guy 20 times and he keeps asking you out, is he either A, persistent, or B, a creepy fucking stalker? Right? That's that's your basic question, right? Because if somebody keeps doing something repetitively and the other person doesn't want it or doesn't like it or won't change in response to it, stop doing it. You're stalking them. You're not friends. You're like some mind control Svengali guru trying to hypnotize them into doing things your way when they clearly don't want to. Just ask your wife. If a guy asks you out the 21st time, are you going to say yes? Be like, no, I'm going to call the cops, right? Stop stalking people. All right. I'm miserable in the country with $100,000 or more in cash. I'm lonely and don't know what to do, where to go, or how to find direction. I'm 30. I'm sorry about that. And this, you know, goes to show, right? This goes to show the money is not going to buy you happiness. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be wealthy. Oh, my God, did I want to be wealthy? I remember having conversations with my friends oh if you had a million pounds what would you buy oh i'd buy a 747 and fly all over the world because we didn't know what a million pounds meant when we were five right and in my very first dream very first dream i remember having i must be like two or three years old 
was going through a dark forest. Glimmer of light on the horizon. Didn't know if it was sunset or sunrise. Going through a very, very dark forest. Finding a tree. Seeing a faint, almost like a... You ever see something in the forest? You don't know if it's fungus or light. You know, it's like a patch there. You don't know if it's light. It could be a little bit of fungus. Not like the iridescent plankton in the ocean, but just a little bit of a little patch of something. Could that be like a reflection of something? I saw that at the base of a tree, and I began digging. Out of curiosity, not frantically, began digging. And there was a hollowed-out part under the tree with glowing gold. Glowing gold. Down there, and I took it up, and I was... Oh, God, I was so overjoyed. You know, you grow up poor, man. Money is your God. I mean, I hate to say it, but it just is your salvation. Um, because what you do is you say, well, the reason we're miserable is because we're poor. And no. The reason you're poor is because you're miserable. Right? That's what you get. People say, oh, well, and you should watch uh, Crossfire, the movie. Um, Crossfire.movie, something like that. It's Lauren Southern's latest work with uh, Scooter. But... Um, she puts paid to the notion, and I've talked about it in the past too. The crime isn't high because the neighborhood is poor. The neighborhood is poor because crime is high. This has been teased out statistically and algorithmically forever, right? It's a well-known phenomenon in criminology. So when you're a kid, if your family's poor, you say, well, the problem is a lack of money. And if we had money, we'd be like the richer families, and happier and more stable and less screaming and yelling and whatever, right? And and so you think, well, it's the stress of poverty that's causing It's like, that's not true. It's not true at all. I had this fantasy, of course, when I was a kid that the salvation was going to be money. And maybe you had this too. So got to get the money. And Scott Adams talks about this. Um, he didn't say the exact size of the check, but I can guess. Like when he was really big in the 90s, he got his first big check for Dilbert. And I guess probably like $10 million or something like that, which he'd always wanted. And he got so depressed for months afterwards because now he had nothing to shoot for, right? You shoot for virtue, you'll never achieve it perfectly. So you've always got something to go for. And you don't decay in it like you, you know, physically. Physically, I can't do at 55, almost 55, what I could do at, at 35 or 25. So the body stuff decays. But virtue and knowledge can continue to expand until the scythe cuts your brain in two. So I had this fantasy that gold was going to bring, the glowing gold was going to bring me happiness. And and, and so when I, I was holding this gold as a little toddler in, a, in my dream, and I, man, I, I woke up. I don't think I've ever been that sad in my life. I don't think I've ever been that sad in my life. And I woke up as a kid and realized that I was just, I had nothing. Just a, a dark room in a shitty neighborhood with broken, vicious people. That was it. There was no gold. There was no salvation. There was no, nothing was was coming. And I was trapped in this hell prison of a family structure for, you know, year three. Like, it feels like forever, right? And I said, that was, that was a low point, man. It was a low point, low point to start. And, I mean, I get I get it now. I mean, I understand the dream now, sort of. I understood it later. The dream was that the gold is going to the roots of things, looking for the faint patch of light and going, you go to the root and you'll get the gold. And this is why going to the root of ethics, going to the root of the truth, going to the root of philosophy, going to the root of society, going to the root of the family, that's where the gold is. And the gold is the people who are in my life now and you wonderful people. And that is as beautiful an environment as I can imagine. And... It makes up for so much, I can't even tell you. And I, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much for this incredible gift of, of these conversations and this ability to to do what I do. It's uh, it's an amazing thing. And I, I, I'm so appreciative of it. And I, I hope that 
I make that clear when I talk to you just how incredibly appreciative it is. That the gold is you guys. The gold is the people in my life. The, the gold is the gold is, is UPB. The gold is real-time relationships. The gold is everyday anarchy. The gold is against the gods. The gold is the hook on parenting. That that's the gold, and it comes from going to the roots, not staying on the surface, going to the roots, going to the underneath that supports the up. Right? A tree grows down as much as it grows up. And what's visible is incredibly fragile unless you know and reinforce what's at the bottom. So I understand that money... And I remember listening to that, I buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it'll make you feel all right. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. And... I never believed that when I was a kid. I was like, I'll take some diamond rings. Yay, you know, it'd be great. And um, so I know, I know what you're talking about. The money is not going to make you uh, happy. And in fact, the money takes away the purpose and the everyday struggle that substitutes for happiness. Survival substitutes for happiness for so many people. So, I mean, this brings us to a complex topic, which is the relationship between need and meaning. Need and meaning. I need the world to pursue philosophy. I need the world to pursue philosophy. To view reason and evidence as the North Star, the guiding principles. I need the world to do that. And I'm naked about that need. It's my only fans. <laughs> I'm naked about that need. I, I, I need for my, for my daughter, for my life, for my future, for my culture, for my family. I need the world. And so need breeds purpose and purpose breeds meaning right need purpose meaning that's that's the dominoes right so if you have no meaning it's because you have no purpose and if you have no purpose it's because you don't need anything and maybe you don't need things because you have the money so you got to figure out what you need what do you need what do you need in the world what do you need not just for you right not just for you I mean, it's with regards to this article I was reading earlier my god if, if you want to get out of being neurotic focus on other people Forget about yourself. Like there's this navel-gazing that goes on with neurotic people where they're constantly monitoring their own thoughts and their own feelings and I, I need this therapy and I need this pill and I got to do my breathing exercises and I need to be zen and this person's upsetting me and I got to control this and I got to manage that. Oh my God, just go and help someone for God's sakes and stop looking at your own fucking innards the whole time. Just go and help someone. Go and make the world a better place. Go and volunteer at a soup kitchen. Go and help a homeless person. Go and reason uh, someone into doing better. Go and oppose a lie. Go and write. Just stop thinking about yourself all the goddamn time. It's exhausting. It's debilitating. And it's such a circular whirlpool into nothingness. Like she's anxious because she's not focusing on other people. She's not unable to focus on other people because she's anxious. She's anxious because she's not focusing on other people. You know, her son is sick and all she can think about is, well, it's really about me and I actually, I'm more worried about myself and I've got this business meeting to do and here's your iPad and I don't even really care that much if he gets sick or even if he dies. I'm really worried about myself. I think that, like, you've got a whole person outside this talking, yammering, joke, teeth chatterbox going on in the head. The, the best way to overleap your enter the dragon hall of mirrors Disco ball of self-reflection. Just leap over your own wall. Go out into the world. Make things better for other people. It can be within your family. can be within your community. can be in some online community. Just go and ask people how they're doing. Go and help someone. Go, go and help people. Go and make the world a better place. So what do you need? What do you need? Now, if you can't figure out what you need, then you're not going to find out your purpose, and then you're not going to get your meaning. Meaning is 
am I achieving the goal of getting closer to my purpose, right? My purpose is truth, right? My purpose is truth. Having a smaller audience now is simply a fact. It's true that my success led to deplatforming, which has a smaller and more concentrated audience. I still think it's about the same number of people who actually get shit done in the world, so that's not particularly relevant, but that's just a fact, right? It's just it's a truth about what happened. It's a fact. And since my purpose is truth, that's just another fact. It's just another truth that has happened in the world that I can understand and, and learn from, and there are great things to learn from it, which I've talked about before. So what do you need? What do you need? In the world. What do you need? What do you need the world to do? Say, oh, well, I'm lonely. Okay, so I need someone. So the world doesn't care about that. It, do it doesn't. And the world doesn't care about that. The world doesn't care what you need. doesn't care what you want. doesn't care that I wanted a philosophy show. doesn't care that I wanted to be published. doesn't care that I wanted to have a positive influence on the reasonableness of the world. The world doesn't care about that. In fact, it often opposes it massively. So what do you need? So I need the world to be interested in philosophy. I need the world to be interested in philosophy. Because the alternative is theology or communism. Theology or fascism. Theology or totalitarianism, which is kind of two sides of the same coin. I don't want to live in a theological dictatorship, and I don't want to live in a secular dictatorship, both of which are harmful to me, toxic. So I need the world to be interested in philosophy. So what do I do? Well, you know. That's why you're here. I need the world to be interested in philosophy. So I need to make philosophy interesting to the world. You understand, right? That's how, how this works, right? Where I need, I must provide to get what I want. If I need you to be interested in philosophy, I need to make philosophy interesting to you. If philosophy, if your interest in philosophy has value to me, then the first thing I must do is make philosophy have value to you. To you. Not anybody else. To you, 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 you. If you want someone to buy your pizza, you've got to make that pizza tasty to people. Your need is your service. I need you to be interested in philosophy. I need to make philosophy interesting to you. That's how I serve my needs, how I serve philosophy, how I serve the future. And once I'm serving something bigger than myself, I stop being self-obsessed. I stop being neurotic. I'm serving something larger than myself, serving the future, some truth, virtue, humanity. So you say, I'm lonely. I need someone. Okay. If you want someone to need you, then you've got to provide them something they want. Because we're adults. You don't have to do this when you're a baby. You don't have to do this when you're a toddler or a kid, but now you're an adult, which means nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you anything. In fact, the last thing they want to do is give you anything because it interferes with what they want in the world, usually, right? So you say, oh, I'm lonely, I'm lonely. I need someone to care about me. Okay, great. I think that's wonderful. That, that's a need that you have. So how are you going to get that need satisfied? Got to provide value to people. Got to provide value to people. The value that I've provided in the show is virtually limitless in terms of personal liberation, better parenting, non-circumcision, non-hitting, Bitcoin value, increase investment, you name it. The value that I have provided is massive in this conversation. This is why I feel comfortable asking freedomain.com forward slash donate. Come on. Be fair. Be reasonable, right? 
return value for value. It's justice. Justice, return value for value. So when you think, oh, I'm lonely. Oh, I need someone to care about me. That's great. How are you going to get someone to care about you? Well, not like a mom or a dad who has to do it because you're there and they chose to have you and they have no choice and there's no alternative. That's subsidization. That's fine in the family, but kind of a weird, creepy socialism, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Other people have an excess of affection and I need affection. So they're going to, that's just communism. It's communism of the cock, so to speak, right? It's sexuality and romance based upon your need, right? And other people should, must provide. No, no. To be an adult, you must exchange value for value. That's the definition of adulthood. If you want someone to care for you, you have to give them a reason. You have to give them a benefit for caring for you. Make me less lonely will only breed contempt for you because you're greedy. You're not exchanging value for value. You have a need. Through that need, you have a purpose, and your purpose is to provide value to people, to have them want to call you, to have them want to interact with you, to have them want to see you. Provide value to people. How are you going to provide value to people? I mean, real-time relationships, honesty, virtue, truth, curiosity, empathy, courage, support, having people's back. All of this is part of the goal that you can bring to people. And then some people won't return because they'll be in your primitive state of I need, I need, I need, and they won't return. Okay, move on. Move on. Somebody doesn't pay you for the pizza they take, get them out of the store. Don't have them come back in because they're thieves, right? You got your need, then you got your purpose. Through your purpose, you will get your meaning. Need people, purposes provide value, the meaning is the happiness and the love that you get from that union. I hope that helps, but you won't get it from money. And the great temptation, if you have money, of course, is to try and buy people and don't do that, of course, right? Do you have call-in shows still? Uh, yes. Are the hallucinogens for PTSD legit? Tempting because the therapy-based alternatives are a very challenging multi-year grind? I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I have my skepticism about hallucinogens, but I don't know. You should really look up the science, right? Better fully bald than a comb-over. <laughs> I quite agree with that. They switched my department from salary to hourly. We are not allowed to get overtime, so I work 10-hour days to take days off. That's good. How do you think that parenting multiple children differs from only one child? Oh, it's much more complex in many ways, for sure. So um, I, I don't know. It's a very general question, so I'd need sort of more. It depends if there's males or females and the age differences and so on. So, Is the underlying issue a need for attention? doesn't matter if it is positive or negative. They need to constantly be at the center. Well, in this story that I read from this woman, the New York Times woman, uh, this is supposedly about her. Her son is the one who's sick. And all she talks about is herself. Like her son is the one she's put in terror of this disease, and all she talks about is herself. And it's really, uh, it's really tough to see. It's really tough to see. Good. I thought you might have been pretty bummed for a while after you were kicked off YouTube. Well, that, that's the challenge, right? The challenge is how do I turn this into a positive? My father needs to hear this message right now. He's been struggling with a very painful mystery illness for a year now. Oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. 
Float.app and Bitwave.tv are better. Yeah, I'm on Bitwave and I'm on Float. Telling people you're not beholden to relationships with biological relatives is the opposite of cult building. Yeah, of course, right? Of course, right? A cult is, is um, brainwashing you into belief that, uh, believing that relationships are necessary regardless of their negative result for you, right? And, and that's abusive families are kind of that definition of a cult in that if you try to leave, you're a bad person and the only, only good people stay and you can't have uh, any demand or request for better behavior or better treatment in that relationship and you'll be punished for leaving and you'll be rewarded uh, for staying but only if you comply with the dysfunction right that's kind of culty so dysfunctional families are the cult which is why they project and call me the cultist right? right that reminds me of the story of the chinese farmer who gets a new horse horse breaks his son's leg which saves him from a military draft that's yeah i mean this is kind of truth in this right can you bring a wife on the show so we can have proof that a good woman exists um yeah no <laughs> no sorry uh yes wife reveal she's great she's great um uh what have we got here lack of distraction triggers my ptsd are the hallucinogens for ptsd legit yeah again sorry i i i can't give you that kind of advice it's not way out of my wheelhouse not giving an f made me cold as ice yeah i can see that what is the most secure way to buy Bitcoin using apps like Robinhood just go through a bank account, which government can raid? Um, Bitcoin and privacy, Bitcoin and security, I'm not giving any advice about that because what if it fails? But you can look this kind of stuff up for sure. And uh, Can Izzy do philosophy for kids? Well, it's very, it's very interesting, a very interesting question. Uh, I, will, I will talk about that with her. I appreciate that. 100 million den didn't kill these ideologies. Well, uh, that's the lack of empathy that, that we we're talking about in the show, right? I turned 33 in a few days. Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> I was actually, I was just thinking the other day that the real proof of conspiracy theories is the phrase conspiracy theory. Like if you were in power and you were working with your friends to maintain and expand that power, wouldn't it be grateful to have a phrase like conspiracy theory that you could use to just discredit and destroy anyone who tried to point out that rich people tend to collude with each other and powerful people tend to collude with each other <laughs> of course right uh, thank you for everything says Hedy and you've improved my life immensely which has allowed me to improve the quality of lives around me thank you very much thank you very much money is independence from terrible people it can be for sure but it doesn't mean that you then are in the orbit of good people so that's kind of tough right uh Barbara says, I'm very appreciative of you, Steph. People can ostracize me all they want. I won't stop supporting you. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. But remember, it's really philosophy. And I'm not saying I am philosophy, but, you know, it is philosophy that you are supporting and not me as an individual because the only reason you would support me is because I bring philosophy to, to the world. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Money is only property to get more property. I don't agree with that. Uh, thank you. I thank you, Stefan, for showing me the way and for those who walk with me on the path. Well, I thank you too, brother. I appreciate that. Most people are not virtuous. Why should anyone care what the need? I'm not sure what that means. I need to go to work after this cup of coffee. <laughs> okay. Well, enjoy your work. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. If you have money, women will appear. Uh, yes, and that's not too bad. Stefan should do an initial coin offering so we can invest in him. <laughs> 
I've thought of that. Sexy Steph Coin 101. This is what I call value. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. The $400 million pizza. Yeah, somebody spent 10,000 bucks on uh, 10,000 Bitcoin, sorry, on pizza. If on homeschools or on children, how you can prepare them for the life out there, meaning social skills with peers, etc. Because homeschooling with quality relationships is an inoculation against predatory relationships. You don't want you don't want your kids going out into the world and having relationships like the ones they have at school where you're in a forced government indoctrination internment camp with sociopaths. <laughs> Come on, you don't want them. It's like saying put them in jail so that they can be really good when they go to jail. It's like, no, don't. You don't want them in those relationships that they would prepare for in school. You don't want them anywhere near those relationships as a whole, right? Why should I keep moving on from people who won't appreciate the gold when I'm always meeting new people who don't appreciate the gold? If you appreciate the gold more, I know this sounds zen and weird, but if you appreciate the gold more, you will find those people. Colin shows are great, inspiring stuff. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. As an old person, I can say I needed to go through the trials to be in the happy place I am now. Appreciate that. Philosophy got me ostracized by most people in my life and reduced my salary by a lot. I feel good about it and have no regrets. Well, you know, I mean, I do sometimes look at the alternative paths in life, right? Like I was saying on the um, investment call today that, um, you know, I was really tempted to go and be a crypto evangelist and crypto guru. And, you know, that would have had certain pluses, (laughs) to put it mildly, uh, and would have avoided certain minuses, to put it mildly. But... What is it? Someone said there was some some someone said some something on the internet it's worth worth remembering. They said someone somewhere has been sitting in their basement eating Cheetos and climbing every crypto gap to make money. And what if they ended up with yeah, a lot of money, but someone right? Cult is another one of those words like anarchy, where the textbook definition is nothing even close to how people use the word. Well, I would argue that government schools are culty, right? I mean, you're forced to be there, you're forced to pay, and if you try and get out, they'll punish you like hell, right? All right. Are teachers slash professors the most destructive group of people in the Western world? No, because they have no power if parents don't put their kids in their environment. So no, the most destructive group of people in the world are uh, abusive parents. I would invest at least $69 into Steph coin. <laughs> I get it. I'm so down for Steph Coin. Frito Coin. Molly Coin. <laughs> Where do you usually read gossip? I don't like to read gossip. I like to talk gossip. So if I have a weakness, it's probably that. Uh, my fault for a misunderstanding last week regarding my question about free will. I wasn't using the formal definition of self evidency. Uh, I'm not sure that's cleared up a lot, but uh, shoot, shoot me an email at callin at freedomain.com and, and we'll do a debate about it. All right. Philosophy as a financial sewer vest is not the best selling point. Well, but I'm not here to sell. I'm here to tell the truth, right? And why can we no longer watch you on the call-in shows? That's one reason that me and my friends watch to see your face. I appreciate that, and I'll probably get back into it. Um, i just enjoying not staring at a camera for two hours. Um, I'll do it for these because I'm doing these shows as well, right? I do like one of these, sometimes two of these a week. And I'm, you know, getting older. I want to save my eyesight for old age. So looking, like even when I look at this camera, I'm actually looking at the wall behind the camera. So I'm not focused too close on the camera because, you know, got to give your eyes a break, right? 20, 20, 20. So I will get back into uh, the call-in shows and visuals and so on. But uh, what podcasts do you follow regularly? Um, 
Well, I don't mind a couple of true crime ones. I don't really follow podcasts that much, um, but Crime jun- uh, crime Junkies is, is kind of fun, and All Crime All the Time is, is kind of fun. Um, I mean, it's obviously a little dark, but... Um, it's interesting to watch those shows develop as they have into talking more about childhood as the origin for criminal behavior, which is quite important, right? Uh, let's see here. I need to follow some new podcast ideas, you slut. You anti-philosophical slut. Just kidding. Um, and uh, Scott, Ad- see, Scott Adams is pretty, is pretty cool to listen to I, I um, because he, he almost never raises his voice. Like, I'm not a great guy to fall asleep to, but if you want to fall asleep, and I'm not trying to diss Scott Adams' show, right, which is kind of interesting and kind of funny and, and fun, but he's got a very even kind of vocal inflection, so he's not going to get loud. But, you know, at the end of um, Crime Junkies, they have this music that if you haven't already fallen asleep, ah, right? So, um, But he's a very relaxing guy to listen to, and he's got a lot of insights and, and smart things to say. It doesn't add up to much for me, but it's it's very insightful and interesting, right? Uh, my kids are six girl and two boy and seven months girl. I asked about multiple kids. I'd love to do a call in. Yeah, call in at freedomain.com. Let's uh, let's set it up. I appreciate that. Hey, all. Hey, Steph, says Melonius Thonk. Hey, that's like the jazz musician. Do you have any strong opinions on Gnosticism? Is it truly heresy? I don't. Uh, I see Gnosticism. I just think of how you spell nulls in Dungeons and Dragons. So I don't really have much of value to add to that. All right. Should we stop before two hours? Yeah, we should probably stop before two hours. I think somehow people just prefer a show that's not two hours as yet. Please donate to Steph. He provides value, and we should all reciprocate. I appreciate that, and I thank you for your support, freedomain.com forward slash donate. So have yourselves a great, great evening. Thank you again so, so much for uh, this conversation. It it brings out the best in me, which I think is going to bring out the best in the future. 24-hour endurance stream. Hmm. And that 12-hour live stream, would you guys, nobody would watch a 12-hour live stream, would you? I mean, I could do it. I'd be, I'd be happy to do it. I think it'd be fun. But I'm not sure how many people would actually watch. Uh, two hours is perfect. Can't get it. too much Steph time, though. Steph bots for the win. That's right. All right. Yeah, thanks, everyone, so much. Great chats. Have a great evening. Lots of love from up here. Um, I'll talk to you soon.